The Suffering Podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any other major podcast platform. Please subscribe and like to get the latest episodes as soon as they drop. You can also find our latest episodes at thesufferingpodcast.buzzsprout.com. Feel free to comment. We may read your comments on future podcasts and even reach out to you for a future guest spot. Like and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for The Suffering Podcast. Here you'll see links to episodes, updates, and inside information on how to achieve greatness through the joy of suffering. Sit your ass down. down. Sit your ass down. down. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start the pain. Sit your ass down. Down. Sit your ass down, down and strap in. Strap in. This is gonna hurt. This is gonna hurt. This is gonna hurt. Gonna hurt. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start the pain. This is gonna hurt. Gonna hurt. It's time, it's time for the Suffering, for the suffering Podcast. Podcast. Welcome to the Suffering Podcast. Each episode, we walk you through how suffering is the way to sustainable success and the path to greatness. So sit down and strap in. This is going to hurt. Let's talk about the suffering. The Suffering Podcast welcomes performance muffins to our growing family. These protein-packed snacks are the perfect healthy treat to satisfy your cravings and are deliciously addictive. Co-founded by a brother and sister team that grew up in a household where good food and creativity was paramount to their family values. Performance Muffins remain and will always be a family-owned and operated business with multiple flavor varieties of both muffins and cookies. Performance Muffins enables you to have your cake and eat it too while still focusing on the food that you put in your body. I've been eating performance muffins and performance cookies for years. When I was forced to go gluten-free, I thought the days of treats were gone. But not with performance muffins and performance cookies. They kept the taste and got rid of the gluten. My favorite is a toss-up between the Chisel Me Chocolate Muffin or the Amazing Apple Crumb Muffin. Both have 20-plus grams of protein, plus fiber, amino acids, and omega-3s. Performance muffins and performance cookies will blow your taste buds away while contributing to your overall nutritional health. Performance muffins and performance cookies can be found in major supermarkets and fitness centers. Get yours today by visiting performancemuffins.com or check our show notes for the link. For the Suffering Podcast listeners at checkout, enter the code SUFFERINGPOD10 for an amazing 10% discount. Performance muffins, irresistibly healthy and packed with strength. Caffeina is now part of the Suffering Podcast family. We all need a boost of energy from time to time. Rather than reach for that fifth cup of coffee or grabbing a sugary, chemical-laden energy drink, choose the better alternative. That better alternative is Caffeina. Caffeina is a delicious caffeine and electrolyte-infused spring water that is micro-filtered for purity. It's a delicious and refreshing natural energy drink that delivers the most vital of elements to us, and that's water. There is no aftertaste, no chemicals, and no sugar. Caffeina is a perfect source for pre- and post-workout, morning or afternoon pick-me-up, or just something refreshing to quench your thirst. 
Caffeina is listed as Amazon's choice on Amazon.com, and that comes with free shipping. Just search Caffeina, C-A-F-E-I-N-A, or check out our show notes for the link. Put a little pep in your step while still feeling good about the products you put in your body. Stay hydrated, stay awake, stay healthy with Caffeina. This episode of The Suffering Podcast is sponsored by Podcorn. Doing something you love and being paid for it is the dream of everybody. Podcorn provides you with the perfect vehicle to make this happen. The Suffering Podcast is the result of years of research and experience. Bringing this message to the world is important to me, but it's not cheap. Unless you're independently wealthy, advertising is a necessity. Podcorn makes this easy. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities, such as host-read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. With Podcorn, there is no middleman. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. You never give up the rights to your podcast, and Podcorn is here to support you every step of the way to ensure you're protected and compensated for the work that you do for brands. The Podcorn Marketplace mission is to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when we monetize. Check the show notes for Podcorn's link and start browsing sponsorship opportunities today. Sustain your dreams with Podcorn. Why don't you let the world know that you're a sufferer and a damn proud one? Check out the Suffering Podcast gear brought to you by Squad Locker, where you'll be able to show your support for the show and look damn fine doing it. Follow our link in the show notes found at thesufferingpodcast.buzzsprout.com. And as always, we are eternally grateful for your support. Throughout my life, I've treated the body that was given to me like a carnival ride. High school and college football, powerlifting, carrying 30 pounds of weight around my waist as a police officer day in and day out, car accidents, marathons, and much more. My body held up to the abuse and kept moving forward. One morning, I wake up to take a run. I sneeze. And right to my knees, I drop. Unable to move, my back is gone I'm crippled temporarily by a tiny little sneeze. It doesn't take much. Years of abuse and a tiny insignificant sneeze took me out. Well, you know, our minds work in a very similar fashion. Witnessing the suffering of others day after day, it's going to take a similar toll. You'll be able to endure for a while, soldiering through, coping with humor, substance, or some other unhealthy method. Our minds, like our bodies, can only take so much before you see too much before it breaks, and you're brought to your knees. I'm Kevin Donaldson. I'm here with Mike Felice on this episode of The Suffering Podcast. We explore the suffering of other people's suffering with retired NYPD homicide detective Clint McGregor. Clint's seen some suffering. Welcome, Clint. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. I really do appreciate you coming in. I know you had to travel quite a distance. We may have to close caption this because I know you got that New York accent. <laughs> Sorry, brother. Can we use the same Hudson County guy we used for? Yeah, Mike De Palma. They got the Queens accent and like Mike De Palma has in uh, Jersey. We're going to put you two in a room together and it's going to be like a multi-language film. I actually want to meet this guy. Mike? Yeah. Oh, God, he's a character. He's a character. You may never be the same. Love yeah. him to death, but he's a character. Hurricane yeah. Mike is my new name for him. Before we really get into it, I want to get into this week's social media question. I grabbed one from the internet that was put on there by Robert. And this one's a fun question. It says, what's your favorite movie about suffering? As our guest, Clint, I want to throw it off to you That's a tough first. one. I mean, off the top of my head, I would say like Born on the Fourth of July, that movie. Oof. Ron Kovac? That was a rough one. How about you, Mike? 
I was going to say Harold and Kumar escaped from Guantanamo Bay, <laughs> but, um, you know, because they were thrown in jail for no reason. I'm going to have to say American Sniper. That's a tough one. That took me days and days yeah. to watch. Yeah, that's a tough that, one. That, that came out pretty much right after my shooting, and it, it took me a long time to actually sit down and watch that. For me, I, I, I'm always partial to the Rocky movie, especially Rocky 1, where he had to go through certain suffering, and he endured, and he came out on top. But I also like the football. I'm a football guy, so I also like Rudy. Uh, Great da movie. Daniel Rudiger actually came and spoke at my college for a while. And he's an amazing guy. He really is. He overcame so much, and he never gave up, and he never quit, and he endured, and he came out on top. Robert, thank you very much for your question. Keep sending him in. We'll try to get him on the air. You know, getting back to that Rocky thing, though, I mean, that was that was definite suffering because he was from Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> we all suffer from Philadelphia pain, those of us that are Philly fans. Uh, sorry, Adam. <laughs> Uh, you know, our buddy, our buddy who played for the Flyers for a short time. And yeah, I heard that episode. Yeah. He suffered for a while. He's a good guy. Oh, you know, he's an awesome guy. I just had guy. coffee with him yesterday. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Clint? So, uh, I was born and raised in Queens. Named after Eastwood, correct? After Eastwood. Actually, you know what? There was three names and my mom picked Clint out of the hat. She was a Clint Eastwood fan. So that's a plus, but I grew up in Queens. Good upbringing. My father was Scottish and Swedish. My mom was all Italian. Good upbringing, good friends in the neighborhood, nice neighborhood. My father was a waiter for over 40 years. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. A lot of friends. Today, it's so different. With, I have a 10-year-old, so I can't even imagine my daughter riding her bike around the neighborhood. When I grew up, 8 o'clock in the morning, we were in the park playing handball, stickball, roller hockey, whatever. We'd come back home at 6, eat, and then go back at 7 to 9 o'clock, and no one even worried about us. No one even cared where, I mean, they cared, but. But the was, neighborhood was sort of your, your, your family. It was my family, but it's just, there's so many other things that can happen. There's, you're riding your bike in between cars. You get hit by a car. You're climbing fences, rooftops to get balls off of it, school tops. You could fall backwards. There's so many things that can happen when you're a kid. You used to sketch. Remember sketching? You hold on to the back yeah. of the car. It was a Queens thing. Uh, I never heard it that, but I know what it is. Sketching. You would hold on to a back of a car and it would bumper just riding. take you 25 blocks on the snow. And Cars don't even have bumpers now. Like, <laughs> these poor <laughs> kids are missing out. Little mini bikes riding around, golf carts. You could have got hit at any time. And I'm thinking, I, would I don't even let my daughter go You know, 50 feet. You know, let alone a park. And then at a young age, I loved to work. So I would have a paper out at 10, getting up early in the morning, driving around. You know, I worked in refreshment stands. I, I was always a hustler. I always loved to work. I loved to make money. I like to have money in my pocket. I like when you go out with people, you have your own money. You could do things, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I like that work ethic. I always saw it in my grandfather. I always saw it in my father. They did what they had to do. My father worked a separate job, you know, in, in a bow hack, putting uh, cans on a shelf. They were younger then. They had kids younger. So, you know, the jobs weren't like they were today, but they, they hustled. So I always had that in my mind. I said, I want to work. I want to do good. That was it. You know, just great upbringing. A lot of friends. I still uh, in contact with them a lot today. You know, a lot of them have moved on, like out of the state. But a lot of went from Queens to, to Long Island, which I always said I would never do. But I, I decided five years ago, I got to go to Long Island. Did you marry a Long Island girl? Was no, I it? did not. I, I, no, I did not. But what it was, was the sports. When I grew up, there was so much sports. You go to play baseball, it's 500 kids. With my daughter, there's no baseball. There's no softball. There's no soccer in Queens. So I said, I got to go to Long Island, you know? And Long Island is where the sports are at. 
And that's what you that's what I want for my kid. Sports, you're mingling with other kids. I think every that. parent wants the kind of childhood that they had. And I'm wondering if that's gonna be the same with the next generation. I'm not sure. I time don't think so. I really I, I'm scared, honestly, having a ten year old in the world we live in today. What I see with the kids today, a lot of them are lazy, you know, with the Playstations and this. Now we had the Ataris and the Intellivisions back then. We wanted to be out in the street. We wanted to be in the park playing ball. We, you look at pictures of us back in the day. I mean, everyone was in shape. <laughs> I mean, you could say the same thing, right? Growing oh, up, absolutely. And today, it's just scary. Well, yeah. you had if you wanted to go see your friend, you had to hop on your bike and go ride. And sometimes the, the hills were a little rough, but yeah, you did it. You, you did, did it. it. Yeah. And I think it was that you know you're on your own mentality back then, and I think it toughens you up. You're out there by yourself. You have to make decisions. You're in fights. Not that it's a good thing, but you're in fights at a young age, and then. You have your friends over here and you're doing things together, a lot on your own. So you learn quick in life. You learn a lot. Well, how do you think that helped you as you moved on in your life? When I I became a cop, so my mom passes away in uh, 1990. She passes away of, she had skin cancer, melanoma. She laid in the sun all day. She saw it a year earlier. The doctor saw it in in a separate incident and said, you should get that checked out. She never did. She ends up developing uh, cancer, has melanoma, and she passes away in 1990. I think I'm 21 years old. She's 43. I had to grow up quick. I grew, I was kind of mature, but I was in the streets getting in trouble, drinking, nothing like, nothing bad, but it was just stupid kid stuff. And Something was about to happen, maybe something bad. You know what I mean? It you was, hit that fork in the road. In yeah, your you life. hit that fork. There's only so many times, you know, it works out in your favor. And then all of a sudden, oh, shit. I, I say all the time, you, you knock on a devil's door long enough, someone's bound to answer. <laughs> Throw the dice one more time, you go broke. You know, I've seen it with my friends and a lot. some of them are in jail and some of them went the drug route and some went this and some went that. And I said, Look, I got to grow up, man. I mean- I, I can't get in trouble. My father's basically on his own now. You know, he's working. I have a younger brother. I said, I got to grow up. I got to make a decision. What am I going to do here? What, what, what am I going to do in life? What's my calling? So my father was always big on take the civil servant test. If you ever have a family, it's it's great. You're going to have benefits and then benefits are more than money when you have a family and then this and then that and structure and that. So that's what I did. I took a cop test in 1990. Then in the meantime, I was doing... Uh, like air condition and refrigeration. He got me into some local 32B in the city and I'm doing it. I'm like, this, I don't enjoy this. Man. It's not, <laughs> it's not fun getting on a train, going into the city. It's just, it's, it's not me. And then I get a call one day and it's the NYPD. They're like, you know, we want you to come in. We want you to interview. I did an interview. I had taken the test. I did pretty good. And then I went in for the interview, and that's when that whole process with the NYPD started. You had the perfect accent for the job and everything. Yeah, I know. That was fit right in. So you become an officer. You're since retired? I retired in July of 2018 out of Brooklyn North Homicide. I was a sergeant there. I was in the detective bureau since 2006. I was the XO there. I was doing the robbery part of it, and then I was doing the shootings and the homicides with everything else that goes along in a squad, domestic violence, you know, grand larcenies, the seven majors, basically. I retired out of the homicide squad. I did like a year and a half, two years there, and I was just like, I had enough. I got to get out of here. It's 26 years I did. 
Well, we're gonna we're gonna start talking about yeah, why we'll that was enough. Yeah, we'll still talk about it. <laughs> you sound real excited. <laughs> the, the suffering podcast concept. I'm very interested to hear what our guests think about this. You've listened to a couple episodes. Tell me your thoughts. I think it's incredible. There are a lot of people out there. You just earned your twenty dollars for saying it's incredible. It is. It's really incredible. Well, you know, Clint did say something that he likes to keep money in his pockets. I've been out to dinner with him. Oh, he stays in his pocket. Just keep, just keep complimenting me, and I'll just cha-ching. There you go. There are a lot of people out there that are suffering. There are people that have no place to turn. There are offices that have no place to turn. What I feel is the job. Well, at least the NYPD, in my my view, they all they care about is liability. That's it. Safety's no longer an issue. I, I don't believe that. I really, I, there are people that care. I'm not saying the whole upper management. Po- policy makers. Yeah, the po- they have no clue, no clue what cops go through. That, especially cops that have been out there for a long time. The, the bosses that I, I've dealt with, I had a lot of good bosses in my life, but there are certain bosses that never did a day in the street. They just studied, 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 and went up there. And now they're trying to tell cops what to do so i think with the stresses out there every day that the cops face and then they listen to a podcast like this with what you went through kev what mike went through what Artie dell went through i mean that guy true that's the real deal right fantastic there. guy too Re- that guy i was so impressed how, how tough that guy is and then you got mike the palmer right the other guy. I mean, really, and, and I'm not shortchanging any of your guests. I'm not going to name them all here, but those two really stood out for me. By the I way, mean, his new nickname is The Lip. I don't know if you've seen the movie Lip? Green Book. No, it didn't. Okay, yeah, there's Tony Lip in the Green in Green Book. Well, he's Mikey Lip. <laughs> Great guys, man. I really enjoyed it. And I feel that this podcast, there's going to be people out there that can't relate to things, and now they listen to this, and they can relate to it, and they say, look at these guys. Look what these guys went through, and look where they are today. Well, that's the whole. That's the whole point of it. That's that the suffering point. Allow, allows you to grow, make you stronger in the end. With you particularly, you've seen so much horror. That's why we're talking about the suffering of other people's suffering. You can only take so much. It's that glass half full, and then you know every everything you see just keeps filling that glass until eventually it's going to overflow. So you've seen some horrible stuff in your life. So normally at this point in the podcast, we start talking about your greatest suffering story, but I'm sure there's more than one that you've witnessed. So let's get into it. Let's go through a couple of your different incidents that you feel would be your top suffering of other people's suffering. So my weakness in the NYPD with victims, all victims I, f- I feel for, and I, as a team, we always try to do the right thing. But kids, anything with a child or anything with an uh, elderly person, I take that really personally especially children. I was in a squad since 2006 to 2017. We were in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. So if anyone knows Bed-Stuy, you could go look it up. Billy Joe said he even walked through Bed-Stuy alone when he wrote his song. It is tough, tough. Do or die Bed-Stuy. That's what they say. It is tough. I've been to shootings. I'm, I'm going to tell you a story, but I'm going to give you a for instance that I went to uh, a lady's house with a seven-year-old child on the floor dead with a gunshot wound to the head, guns laying on the floor. We say to the mom, let, let, let's talk on the side. You know, we got we to gotta talk what happened here. How is this kid? It, we, we knew it wasn't self-inflicted. So how is this kid laying here? Like, wh- what's going on here? You know, first thing out of her mouth is, I ain't no rat. 
I'm not a rat. I go, man, that's your, your, your son. I'm not a rat. The street will take care of this. I'm not a rat. Go fuck yourself. So was this her child? Her child. Oh. This is what I'm this is what I'm starting off with. This is what I'm starting off. How am I, I then I say to my house, how am I gonna ever solve something if the mom doesn't even want to cooperate? So I'm gonna flip it on you, which I flipped it on her. I said to myself, why is she so bitter? I took her on the side and spoke to her like a human being. Found out that she's had bad run-ins with the police. She doesn't like the way she was treated in the past, and she passionately just distress she hates cops or some cops the she uniform did, yeah the uniform so i flipped it on her i talked to her i talked to her in a way that she was probably never spoken to before and i i could see it was getting somewhere with her i'm just going to cut the story short she shows up a couple hours later to my squad sneaks in the back door comes up boom boom tells us what she believes happens and it turns out the gun was left there by her boyfriend one of the kids, eight-year-old friends were there, found it, was playing with it, put it to the other kid's head, pulled the trigger, boom, kid runs out, drops the gun. And that's, that's what happened. I've had, in my career, I lost two children. Thankfully, at the <sighs> time, those children were lost. And not, not me personally. No, no, those, I understand. They're on the job. When those kids were lost, I didn't have children of my own yet. Uh, one of them was a child got locked in a homemade toy box and suffocated. The other one... Some unknown medical issue. But I had heard other officers speaking about they put their children's face and transpose it onto the other ones. How do you go home and kiss your kids goodnight after you just seen one like that? I think your kid keeps you going, man. I think you really, you, you say to yourself, all right, that was an accident. And then you have situations where it's just straight up abuse. You know what I mean? The kid never had a shot. This was a freak accident. The mom might have been a nice lady, and this is just something was left there, and the kid picked it up. But now let's talk about a case that I had where you're going to look at, I'm going to tell you two cases. We're going to have one case where the mom is a single parent. The mom is young. The mom goes out, okay? She works as a stripper. She goes and works the night, gets home at seven o'clock in the morning with a shoebox of $800 in singles. It's not okay? my mother, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, told you not to talk to him. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, that's were... horrible. <laughs> that's horrible. They're going to say, how you, because I'm, I'm dented. <laughs> <laughs> not that's broken. okay. So, yeah. so what happens is prior to that, there's a fire on the block. This this house goes up. The detectives don't get called out to fires unless there's something going on. All of a sudden, we get a phone call and it's like, Sarge, uh, yeah, this woman showed up on the block. The fireman left. The house was engulfed. Then she says that her, her daughter's missing and that the babysitter, she doesn't know where the babysitter is. And I'm like, okay. So we we head over there. And we interview her and she's, you know, she's scared, she's nervous, she's concerned about the well-being of her child. I said, so where's the babysitter? She gives us the number. We call the babysitter goes, what is she talking about? I ain't never even babysat for that kid last night. I'm turning to the mom. I said, do you, is this where you actually live? This, this house that just burned? She goes, yes. So I said, are you trying to tell us that your child might be up there? So she goes, I don't know. Call the fireman back. We go up there. We don't know, you know, if the floors are going to cave in. We go up there. We look and we could see that she made a square of furniture and cushions and all this. The TV, she said she left on. It was Everything was burned. 
We look under the bed. There's a bed because it's a studio. The bed, there's a child under the bed. With the hands, I don't want to be too graphic, but the hands over her face, holding her face. The child is two years old. This is what we have to see. Then I have to deal with a, a parent that lost her child, but I'm still, I'm kind of pissed off too that she left, but I could understand she's, is she doing it for the right reasons working or is she doing it for the wrong reason? Is she a party girl? Why'd she get home at seven? Who's watching this kid? How do you leave a kid alone? So it ends up one of the, she had a heater on and the heater went on fire and it engulfed the whole thing. But just to see a child, like that under under the bed, it just it, it just so, tears you, you know, apart. When, when, I mean, the sight of that, I I don't think I'd be able to handle that. That's one of the things that pisses me off now about all these people now that are bad mouthing cops and mm-hmm. saying that they're overpaid and they're this and they're that. They don't see what we see on a daily basis like that. When you told me about the the way you found the little girl, I'm I'm just I got that picture in my head, and it brings me back to looking at the plaster casts of Pompeii. These people in these horrible positions, you know, it's at the end of their life. They know they're going to die and they get in these positions and that's, they're frozen in time. Just like this little girl's frozen in time. This is not something that people should see. Normal people should see. This is going to fuck you up eventually. I don't care how strong you are. You might be able to see that once or twice without bringing it home and keep it in the back of your head or bury it or squash it. How did you deal with something like that? I'm not going to lie to you. Like when my mom passed away, I didn't even cry. I was always this tough guy. I thought inside and all this. And then when I had my daughter, I take her to the to movies and, you know, we're watching a Disney flick and she looks to the right. And she's like, dad, are you crying? Are you crying? And I'm like, we no, t- no, I got, I got a fly in my eye or something. You know, and she's like, you're crying. She's eating her popcorn. And I'm like, Jeez, what have I become? We just <laughs> talked about this. That's because that's the that's an emotion. What goes in has to come out. But you know what? I did a lot of crying. I would keep it in. You know, I, I we're all detectives. We all see this. I knew, you know, I'm the supervisor. My guys are doing the cases, you know. They're the ones that are solving stuff. I I, I put my two cents in, but I, I was a type of guy where I let my squad. When I took over my squad, my lieutenant left. My lieutenant's a great guy. But when he left, I just let my guys and girls do their thing. If I had to get involved, I have to get involved. But I let them do their thing. I gave them a time frame, and it just worked out. And they're passionate, and they see that, and they go through it. They want to solve it. They want to get to the bottom of it. You have to really, you get so mad at this victim. But you got to say, she, I mean, she was a mess. But she took a chance. And it backfired. And now she lost her child. She's got to go through this the rest of her life. I don't. I could see it, picture it. I take the stress home with me. I try to get it out in other ways. Go, I always say I'm never going to you know, let it affect my home lifestyle. But you bring that home every night. You do. Are you, are you married? Yes, I'm married. Oh, I'm I have a 10-year-old. Very sorry. Yeah. Very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about suffering, man. See, as long as you marry like a Colombian or something like that. Yeah, who, who, should be fine. who do we know that's married a Colombian? <laughs> so you bring that, your wife is sitting home and they, yeah. they're happy that you're home and you try to engage in normal conversation. You just go from seeing this awful event of this young girl to, hey, what kind of drapes would you like in the bedroom? You sit there and certain things will just get you going. You know, your daughter says something and you can feel it that you, the the rage, not like she spilled like water on you or something. You could feel it affecting you. And then it's very hard. I haven't been through a lot 
like you guys have been through. Uh, I've seen a lot of things. I try to channel it away in different ways. I try to remain positive. I try to look at that negative and turn it into a positive if you can. I don't know. Not all cases you can. We talk it out in the squad. We talk it out amongst ourselves. I want to make sure it, it's it's a terrible thing to see. And unfortunately, you have to see it. when you, If you're working that day, you have to yeah. see it. There are some people that never see that. There's a fortunate thing where my, I think Mike and I are more fortunate with the incidents we have than you are. Now, to, just hear me out on this one. When our events happen, it was an event. It was a one event where yours is a slow crescendo of events until you reach that breaking point. Our breaking point happened yeah. in one night. Your breaking point, it's kind of it's kind of like that volcano that's that's just about to erupt. You just don't know when it's happening. I agree with you. I just, it's police work. It's nuts in a way because once you put that uniform on and you go to work, you could deliver a baby, be in a foot pursuit, then go to another house and there's a child abuse. Then you go to a burning building and then there's a shooting and two people are dead. And the, so your mind is like going from... Up and down and up and down and up and down all day long. And it's like someone's just pounding on you. And then you have to be able to function after this you know, and, and, and have I, a normal life. I was saying that too. You know, what you don't realize is, is you go to a homicide scene. I'm sure that would take you all day. But if you're, if you're the initial responding officer that goes to that before the detectives take it over, he has to put on his brave front again and mm-hmm. go back to work. You know, and now you go to the next call. You know, the next call may be something as stupid as a parking complaint or something. You still have the one nasty call still in the back of your mind, and you have to go through the rest of your day's work. Of course. You I have mean, to change. Crazy. You have yeah. to change and pivot and turn another direction where you have to smile in front of somebody where you just watch somebody who got their head blown off. And then you do a car stop, and you're with your partner, and you're thinking about what I just told you or something. Maybe that cop was there earlier with me. You know, I'm not doing car stops. They are. And he sees this. And now you have a weakness now. You're, you're, yeah. you're so distracted and you can't be distracted as a cop. You just can't be on a car stop. That's you, when people get hurt. You let your guard down. I mean, you like that car stop has to be your main focus. If you have something in the back of your mind, a bad call like that in the back of your mind, you're... Your guard's going to be down. You're not going to be at the top of your game. And it's impossible to be at the top of your game after that. So with this incident with the, the young girl who was in the fire, what was the outcome of that? The outcome was the mom got three months probation. I can see it both ways. Yes. You I know, I, there's there's no sentence they can give her. If she really, truly did care about her child, I, I don't think there's any sentence they could give her. She's living her own people. life sentence yeah, now. Yeah. yeah. You and, know, she's got to live with that. It's sad. That's what I was just going to ask you. What did you learn? It, it's 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 just so sad. It's just it's just the mom's got to do what she's got to do. If she's doing it in goodwill, where she wants to support her her daughter and get the hell out of the hood, I understand you take chances in life. I mean, not everybody can be a podcaster. Some of us have to be strippers. You're right. That's my second job, by the way. <laughs> I can understand it, but I I don't accept it. You know, it just pisses me off. That kid has not even a shot. And that kid has to die like that, you know. It's just, it, it, it's just, and, and and let me say, that's probably one of the worst ways to go. And that poor kid, oh, I just sit there. I always say that fires and drowning would be. Yeah, I would say take fire. take me any other way. I think the tragedy of that is there are certain kids in this world that don't even have a chance. I used to see this when I used to pull over certain cars, and you know, there's eight kids in the car by multiple different fathers or mothers. 
and half of them aren't in car seats and and you look at these poor kids and they're dirty and and you, you say, wow, you, you poor kids, you just don't have a chance. They don't have a chance. I used to drive down Bushwick Avenue going to work and I used to look up at the blinds, like the buildings, they were like three or four levels. I remember being at a light and I just looked to the left and you could see the nice blinds and you could see the ones that are like 9,000 holes in them and they're crooked and then one's a blanket over it. And I'm like, I thank God every day. I thank God every day. You know, my upbringing. I thank God every day. It could always be worse. You have to really remember well, that. There's the gem right there. Yeah. So you just, you got that perspective. And I think that's what incidents like this do. And we're going to get into more of them where they, they tone it down and they give you a little bit more perspective where, although it's not exactly an incident, when you go home, say your kid breaks a jar on the ground and glass yeah. on the ground and you lose your mind over it, but it's really not about that. It's, it's emotions from something earlier that are spilling 100%. into that it's a ptsd thing it's a yeah it's yours yours is ptsd over time where we got it in one night that's why i said that, that what you've gone through is is a little bit more traumatic than what we've gone through ours happened quick ours yeah. is instant incident specific yes yours is multiple incidents. and you hit your point too oh, right out. poor girl dies well mother gets three months I'd hate to say what's next, but I know I, I hope that would be all of it, but I know it's not. A short time after that, we get a call, this sweet Marcella, this girl. So we get a call of a of a female infant, four years old, in bed sty. The mom calls and says that she's uh she's not responding, she's cold, she's on top of the mom's bed in her bedroom. We respond over there. EMS pronounces the girl DOA inside the house so we respond over something suspicious as i walk into the building and i i enter the apartment i never forget there's a table in front of me with a pit bull tied to it and there's five piles of shit evenly spaced and a ham sandwich on the floor i said to my boss i said this ain't gonna go be good if this is what i'm walking into first walk in the door grandma's sitting there watching a soap opera no remorse and the mom's just standing there out of her mind not even moving and we walk into the back room and little Marcella's laying on the bed, her mom's bed. Marcella was her name? Yeah, Marcella was her name. She was four years old, 17 pounds. I, I notice on her wrist, she has this ligature marks. I see on Ligature her, marks. Let's stop there. Yeah. Ligature marks are uh, evidence of binding. Correct. Tied up. Correct. On her ankles. I see a trach that's in her, her throat. It looks like the trach's been there for a while. It's got crusting around it it looks very old it looks like it has not been cleaned or right there i'm like okay what's going on with this kid is this kid sick well she was a preemie and this and that i go when was the last time you were at the doctor ma'am like last year so she's got a trach sitting in her throat for over a year i see these marks and i look on the floor there's a makeshift crib with twine on each po post so it's a makeshift crib, small, like a foot off the ground with a dirty, soiled uh, mattress, kid mattress, ligature marks on the ankles and this. Apparently, this girl was tied up. Believe it or not, we have a five-year-old in the house, and we have to interview a five-year-old boy. What is going on here? What ends up happening is the mom and the, the, her mother, who's grandma, who's in the house, a smoking crack. She's starting to lose her mind. She hasn't been caring for the child. The kid the kid has like, I don't know, 10 ACS, which is child welfare cases. I don't know if they're open or closed at the time. We make our notifications and 
we find out, we bring the kid, you know, the, the more comes, takes the kid, do an autopsy, 90, 90 antihistamine pills in this kid's stomach. Four-year-old. Four-year-old. She was feeding this kid town or PMs or something to make the kid sleep. This five-year-old son actually gave us this information that she used to cry. Of course she's crying. She look at the shape she's in. Kids cry when they're in pain. They're tying her up because they can't sleep. They're feeding a child Tylenol PMs that's four years old. They have a trach in the throat for over a year that you haven't even had the decency to take this child to a, a pediatrician to get this thing clean. And you look at her, I, I'll show you pictures. You, She's so frail. How nobody picks up on this and notifies us. Now I say, how is this possible? We look at the ACS. ACS has 10 or whatever, five to 10 open reports on this. What's ACS? It's child welfare. Basically, you if you feel that someone is abusing a child, you could call up confidential and you could put a complaint in and ACS has an obligation to come out and check on the child's well-being. So there are people, some people were concerned, which there is a are. good, that's it's a good thing. Yeah. There's, a real good thing. there's 10 or there's one person to call 10 times because nothing's being done. What ends up happening is the mom gets locked up. The grandmother gets locked. Oh, we found an old VCR tape, right? Those old VCR tapes with blood on it and did the DNA. And it was, they must have hit the kid in the head. The kid did have a mark on the head. So there was abuse going on. Mom gets arrested. Grandma gets arrested. And two ACS people get arrested, believe it or not, for falsifying reports that they visited when they never visited. So that could have been prevented. Mom got 30. Grandma got 25 and the two ACS got 15. There's, there's, there's a huge part of me that is almost thankful that this kid is no longer in that situation. It's hard for me to say that I'm, I'm glad a kid is dead, but death as an alternative to what she must have went through, I'll choose death every time. Yes. What, what was the uh, five-year-old like? The five-year-old, there wasn't an issue with the five-year-old. I think the problem with Marcella in the mom's view, which is sick, was that she was a preemie and she was suffering and she was a lot of work for the mom. And the mom couldn't handle it. But that's your child. That uh, is your child. How long ago was this? This Marcello was 2013. So 2013, we're yeah. talking eight years ago. Yeah. And you still remember her name, which... Listen, people, Marcella Pierce. I'll, so, I'll guarantee you know the address and everything too. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm I'm thankful that you remember her name because it shows that you still have something normal inside of you. Saying her name and keeping her name alive, somebody's got to do it because her. I don't know. Hopefully, there's some remorse with her mother and grandmother. I don't think so. Uh, there's probably it's sad to say remorse when you're behind bars. Then that's what it takes. So you they're, they're all sorry. They're all sorry when a cage closes. There are great people in this world that would have took that child. I believe, I want to say this, uh, a good Samaritan neighbor at one time offered to adopt this child from the mother. I don't know why, maybe because the child was sick. I don't think it was because they thought the child was being abused or neglected, but I don't know. But there was someone, a good Samaritan in that neighborhood that was, okay, you are having a good life. You hadn't had nothing to worry about that would have took this beautiful girl with open arms, you know, and the mom wouldn't allow it. Well, think of how many people in this country that would just die to oh, have, a, have a kid because they can't have kids. Gosh, gosh. You know, I know, I know someone like that. They tried to have kids, tried to have kids and, and, and couldn't. And you see all these, these crack addicted 
ladies that are just popping out kid after kid. And it, this and girl, most of them are healthy. This girl that I know is one of the greatest people I know. She's mm. she's in law enforcement. Her husband's in law enforcement. Tried to have a kid. They couldn't have one. They wound up adopting two Chinese children. And I believe that the other one is a Taiwanese child. Well, you know why they, they people go overseas to adopt? Because in the United States, if you adopt in the United States, it's kind of a broken system. You could have that child for 10 years legally adopted. If the parents want it back, you got to give, yeah, give it back. Think about that. You become attached to a kid. It's unfathomable for me as a father to look at my children as burdens. Hey, don't get me wrong. There's sometimes I... I <laughs> of course. Oh, man. Sometimes. I practice again. Of they, course. They do it sometimes, but I can't picture my life without them. I strongly believe that kids, they pull at those heartstrings. They're always going to be the most difficult story to tell. I've learned in that neighborhood, and there are... It's tough. It's very poor, very violent. There are very good people there that live there. I can't stand people that think, oh, this... This is a shithole. This all, yeah, it's it's a bad neighborhood. But there are good people there. Correct. There are people that need your help, and there are children and elderly people, like the ones that complain today. All the kids, the ninety-year-old woman that's been through it all, doesn't complain at all. You right? Know, she, she well, she has perspective. She yeah, knows what real shit yeah, is. Yeah, she knows what the real shit is. And the, what is this? The kids today, they have no clue what's going on. They just what they're taught or whatever. And, and they react to that. And when I'm in there and I would go to someone's house around the holidays to, to, to investigate, a, uh, you know, some kind of uh, allegation or something like that. And you walk in, there's four kids in there. There's no Christmas tree, no decorations. It's the day before Christmas. You're like, damn, man, I can see why these kids are so angered. They have nothing. <laughs> but if that's 2013, unless my math's wrong, you have a child at this time, correct? Yes, I do. All right. How yeah. did that? Oof. How did that work out? Real, real rough, man. I'm telling you, I became a softie. And you don't have to be a softie to, you know, cry about a Marcella. It, it really puts everything in perspective. But it confuses you, too, because when you have a be- you're looking at your beautiful kid and their crib and so protected and all this. And you say, I don't get it. I don't get how people can be like that. You could be poor all you want. And I've seen it. But I've seen the poorest of the poor where I work raise kids that are good kids, that are safe, and that are loved. Are loved. And I think a lot Provided of it has. Provided for everything. I think a lot has to do with broken families. A lot. I think a lot. I think the father, in my experience in Bed Stuy, there was no father in all, all these cases, no father. I would have to agree with that. And I'll bet you there's scientific proof of that. Where, uh, who was the big proponent of that? Uh, Children of Broken Homes type of thing. I hope it wasn't Bill Cosby, was it? No. Or was it yeah. Charles Barkley? I don't know. Some some of them with the urban the urban problem is is has a lot to do with broken ha, broken families, and that's a sin. But is that a crutch? God, listen, my my parents are divorced when I was seven years old. Listen, I'm not the most upstanding person there is. There's but... a dude. You're proving the point. I'd stop now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but, Clint, Clint, it was great seeing you. I'll uh, but, <laughs> but, the next episode. Okay, so so your father was your father always a part of your life? Or yeah, no, yeah. Okay, that's not so. technically technically a broken home. Broken home was one yeah, goes away. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any happy stories? Like you know, you deliver Christmas trees to kids because uh, man, yeah, you're really bringing this down. I'm going to have to do like a well, shot or something. <laughs> I was having a good day. Now all of a sudden, no. Listen, what is going to make me do? What me personally listening to this? Just listening to this. When I get out of this studio, I'm going to go hug my kids. 
100%, you know, 100%. Listen, we all see bad things and you got to go home and function after this. And I don't really, you know, when it happens, go home and bring it home and tell a story. I could say something bad happened today. I got to stay. This happened. But I don't like to go into detail with I, it. I was going to say that. How do you keep work at work? I you mean, know, that, that's hard. I mean, I had a hard time well, with that. With, with death in particular, what I found with children, you can't dehumanize. It's going to sound really cruel to dehumanize a dead body. When I saw an elderly person or when I had to go to an autopsy, I was able to, to detach and dehumanize that person. That is just a shell. It's no longer a person. Yeah. And I was able to do it that way. And that's how I cope for a long, long time. With a child, I couldn't do it. Yeah, my weakness is the is the child. And, you know, like you said before, you made a very good point. Maybe she's better off, you know, mm -hmm. where she is now. She's in a better place. You know, you wish at the time you could prevent it or the situation could be different, but it's reality. It, it happened. You got to get over it. Don't don't, and, you, don't you go through like, man, I wish I knew about this sooner. Yeah, you know? 100%. You know, you 100 I, I want to save, save all these yeah. kids. I, take, I would take that girl on a heartbeat. Trust me, I would. It's just reality. It's done and you got to get over it and you got to say like, like have said, you know what? Her suffering is over right now. It sucks, but her suffering is over. Now the fight with the fire, that's totally different. That's an accident. That shouldn't have never happened. But this is neglect, abuse, abuse, abuse. This kid is just, yeah, you're tying a child up, your own child. In my eyes, there's two types of so suffering. There's voluntary and there's involuntary suffering. With Marcella, it sounds like it's involuntary or it, it's her involuntary suffering, but it was posed on her voluntarily. There was no reason in the world that that had to happen to that child. With the child that was in the fire, accidents happen. As bad as that sounds, accidents happen. It does. Moving on to the next happy story <laughs> on the Suffering Podcast. <laughs> the Suffering Listener. Did I really stories. bring you guys down? Oh, damn, man. <laughs> It's, it's tough for me to hear about children. It's always tough for tough. me to hear about children. Tough for cops, always with children. And listen, I'm listening to it third. And this is what I want wanted you in here for. Because I'm listening to it secondhand. Right. You were there. You still have these pictures in your mind. Yeah. I'm getting mental images of it. Oh, and yeah. it's bothering me. It bothers, you ha it you have the, the actual physical you know, image. Like people say, how do you do it? I don't know. I mean, you know, we, we just deal with it. Maybe, you know, it's, it's God's work in a sense. You got to be a voice. You have to figure this out. I have to protect the other child now, you know, that she has. Whatever happened to that other child? The, she lost custody. Services. Yeah, protective. And I, I haven't, you know, I lost what what happened but the kids protected i don't know if the kids adopted that that case was uh you know mom and grandma 30 years i mean acs 15 i mean that's some serious stuff man you never see acs really yeah. get 15 you years never hear that never it's poor system failed her it failed big time man what's your main coping mechanism with dealing with this stuff uh i try back then you know do things with my daughter at the time i would try to keep my mind busy, uh, working out and like little trips, like they don't have to be flying out of New York. You can go upstate for a day or two just to get your mind off of it. You have to really get out of the, uh, the whole cop thing. You, you got to get yourself into a comfort zone. Yeah. You have to get out of it. It just, you have to decompress your mind. Or, Did you ever or, isolate? I have had my moments, you know, I've had moments where never felt like I just felt depressed mad more angry that i couldn't have helped more or something maybe guilt 
which I shouldn't have, but it's just it's just rough, man. It was just a rough time, you know, it, seeing all that. That's what I said. That that guilt, and I think we've all had that yeah. in law enforcement. Why couldn't I have known about this sooner? You can't. You just we just take it. any cop or any person that cares and sees something is going to feel some kind of guilt. It's self-imposed guilt. And being in a detective bureau, you know, what do you do? You investigate. And probably that's the worst thing you can have. Now you have a girl, poor girl like Marcella, right? That dies like that. Or you're doing your investigation and you're uncovering so many signs that people didn't pick up on and this, and it gets you even more going. You know what I mean? You have a cop that just sees it, which is terrible, and you have to deal with it. Then you got a detective that sees it and then has to investigate. And then when you're investigating, if you're a pretty good detective, you're like, there's 50 situations where they should have picked up on this. Are you kidding me? And it makes you even more crazy. <laughs> when you get a When you get a case like this and you resolve it, you solve it, does it release any of the... Uh, I don't the feeling, you know, certain cases you do for the family, because if someone is someone's murdered and you're dealing a lot with, you know, rational, rational people, you're dealing with family members, children that their father was killed or something like that. Innocent bystanders, elderly, you're dealing with good families and you, you feel for them. So you want to do the right thing and you want, you want closure for them. You know what I mean? The last thing you want is your son to be murdered. And 15 years later, that person is still out there. No one gives a shit. Get no closure. No closure. You know what I mean? You want closure. Just like the military. They want to recover that body, whether it's the whole body or it's a part of the body. They want that that closure, that, that body here where it could be with them. Not over in a foreign country. Right. You know what I mean? And I was in 9-11. I was just going to say the same thing. First responder down there. I went there after it collapsed, but I was down there and I was a detective at the time and we were doing the recovery there. And then I guess since there's a huge crime scene after two or three weeks, they all decided the powers to be. No one else is going to survive this. They have right, to be it goes, dead. It goes from uh, um, search and search rescue or, yeah, to, search re- to recovery. Correct. To recovery. And then it's crime scene. Let's get rid of all this debris and let's bring it to Staten Island landfill and dump it there and, and, and secure it. Let's take all our detectives and put them up there for 12 hours without any protective gear or anything and let them go through piles and piles of, there was backhoes up there that would just pick it up and drive backwards and just basically spread it out on like a football field. And you were responsible for a certain area and you would actually be on your hands and knees. And they had buckets like spackle buckets that would be body part, wallets, IDs, this uh, equipment, this, this. And you got all these buckets and you're putting what you were covering in each bucket and you would just carry it to a table 10 hours later, you know, and they would just like, that you know they would sign it in and this and i'm sitting there i'm going wait a second these two towers just got hit it falls i'm on my hands and knees in staten island recovering people uh body parts or pieces of evidence what is going on here it's reality just hit you like this really happened you see these things going to the towers right you're there picking this stuff up these are people from planes i recovered a winnie the pooh diaper I was Winnie the Pooh diaper. Where, where did this come from? It was a diaper that had no dirt, soil, damage to it, whatever. I picked this thing up. I'm, I want to find out where, where did this Winnie the Pooh 
It was from one of the planes. Can you imagine that? I'm in oh. Staten Island picking up debris. It's a Winnie the Pooh from the Boston flight. There was a child on there. They tracked all this stuff back. Wow. Trying to recover DNA and stuff from people, and they wanted to ID people and find out who was in there and what. They didn't know anything. It's all DNA, you know, just get, 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 get. I was over at the ground, I guess you want to call ground zero at that point, the week after, and we were part of the bucket brigade. Yeah. Where they were digging through stuff and coming out with buckets and they had a whole line of people and just passing buckets and it was nasty. I mean, how big are these towers? The over a hundred, what, it was hundred stories? I don't even remember what they were at the time, but think about it. You go down there and you're like, wait a second. There's two towers, 120 stories, wherever it is. All the equipment, computers, desks, everything in there. This is what's left? Right. What happened to everything? Like, where did it all go? Now, granted, it was it was a little high, but it was never what you would imagine. It all disintegrated. Everything disintegrated. And it was smoke, dust, smell of death in the air. You so know, you probably that. had so, a lot of friends that have dealt with that, had, the cancer stuff. Right? I had two friends that worked with me in Brooklyn, two separate precincts, both from nose cancer. I never heard of anyone that had nose cancer. They had nose cancer. They had it removed, prosthetic, and then it just spread. You know what I mean? I never even heard it in my life. Can you imagine no. walking into a police precinct with no nose? Do you imagine just the jokes alone? Can't wear glasses. Oh my God. <laughs> you, you guys are sick. I don't you guys, know. I didn't even say anything. I don't know why you still do this. <laughs> <laughs> because you love it. That's why. I, I know that's a lot of the reason or how I was able to cope with a lot of bad things that I've seen is through that humor. When you're in there going through the debris for Ground Zero, what was the mood like amongst everybody? Oh, it's terrible. Confusion, scared, anger, a lot of anger, man. It's just, it was a cheap shot. That's what it was. I mean, like, you just went after innocent people. You know what I mean? You went at, and thank God it was at a, a primary that day that people were going to work late. I mean, that could have been more. That would have been, it was 33,000 up there or something like that. I'm telling you, 3,000 for two towers? It was a lot more people that worked in there. It was a primary day. So they hit on a primary day, and I think that saved lives. I really do believe that. You know? <laughs> for once an election saved yeah. lives. I know I know a lot of people that work for Cantor Fitzgerald that they you might have been one of them to pick up a part. Yeah. Because there was nothing left of that. Place. No. They, I, I, I could tell you, and I would be two blocks away when we are doing the recovery the first two weeks. They sent the detectives to buildings, and we would go to rooftops just to look for stuff. There was two, I guess, from a fuselage from the, the plane. There was one on top of a roof with two people strapped in that broke off from the plane, went X amount of feet, and landed on a rooftop. Then three blocks away, I find Cantor Fitzgerald, that you said that, cards on the thing. It was weird. Stuff was all over the place. Three blocks away on a rooftop. Well, there it wasn't that long ago they found something else. Well, yeah, they found stuff in the sewer, or yeah. like DNA or something like that. People were up there, they were throwing their wallets. They were putting rubber bands and launching them off the rooftops, knowing that they were going to die, and they wanted people to recover it. It was crazy. I the, mean, The scary thing about that is when you see the videos of the people that were jumping. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. This is an interesting one in your career, because this is something that collectively everybody got to see. 
Yeah. Live action on camera. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, there's no cameras at Mar- for Marcella. But everybody got a front row view of this and everybody got to feel a little bit of what this is a story that we're going to we're going to end with. And I'm going to tell you why, because everybody can relate to 9-11. Everybody knows what that feeling is, that uncertainty, that scared feeling, the confusion. We all collectively felt that stuff. You ever want to get a little window into what, what it's like to be an investigating officer or a detective on one of these horrendous crime scenes? <sighs> think about 9-11. Just think about that horror and then what you had to go through. It's horrible. Uh, I know I was having a tough time sleeping. Tough time sleeping. The hours were crazy. The breathing was terrible. I'm still to this day being monitored by the World Trade Center. Great uh, organization. You didn't Uh, bring any of that cancer in here, did you? No, I did not. Okay. So far, so good. Knock on wood. They still monitor me twice a year. You go there, you breathe. They do all your vitals and they monitor you and they want to see how your breathing is. And they, they do body scans on you for cancers and everything. It's it's great. I go twice a year. They're great people. Well, they, that's why John Stewart did a, did a good John thing. John Stewart's a good man. He He's, did a good thing yeah. for, for 9-11 responders. He really did. And he was, as you could see how passionate that guy was right. about it. And, and Gary Sinise Foundation also. Gary, Gary Sinise. Wounded, Wounded Warrior Foundation's yeah. That fantastic. guy's unreal. Yeah. Yeah, so he he's he's done so much. So there's a guy in and we we record in Parsippany. There's a was a sergeant in Parsippany, Derek McConnell, and Derek McConnell got blown up by an IED. And Gary Sinise actually visited, just walked in there, no entourage, no cameras. There's not a picture of it. Just walked in there and say, "Hey, man, just just want to see how you're doing. Just lift your spirits." It's a incredible. Bit. He has a very good take on it because he's kind of like, "Who am I?" type of deal. Well, he's big in the uh, tunnel to towers, also. Oh, he is. Yeah. Yeah, he. I think after the Tunnel to Tower run, they have a live concert, and he's got a band called Lieutenant Dan Band. Oh, uh, for real? Yeah, yeah, the Lieutenant Dan Band, yeah, right? And he gets up and plays and all that. Well, yeah. Some good wild. people out there, yeah. boy, I tell you. Thank not, God. Not, not enough. Yeah. Not Thank, enough good people. Thank God, because what they do for first responders, and I know there's a lot of people that do a lot for first responders as far as their mental problems. We, we've only scratched the surface of what you've seen and what you've done. And they're horrific. I can't imagine having to live through it. I don't know how you did it. Either I, you're incredibly strong or you're good at hiding. You know what? Don't, I'm not going to say it didn't phase me. It did big time. But I just had to get through it. I talked to people that you know were in the similar situation as, as myself. Yeah, I listen, I suffered, man. I would go out there, get hammered and close calls and stuff like that but then you know you're like i look at my child and i just say you know i just you know sort of like with my mom you know with my mom i gotta grow the fuck up and with this is i gotta get through this i don't know how i get through it i go to the gym i go away with her go away you know with my family and and try to get my mind off of it when it really gets to me i had a tight team we always talked it out a lot of us cried that's you know? that's that's something that's very odd in police work. If yeah. you guys talked it out, is we that, talked it out. Well, I good. had listen. I I used to go to compset. You know what compset is? Mm-hmm. They call you up there. I would go to compset once a week. They would call me up there. Or like you're going to be up there for three hours talking. You got 19 shootings in a month. I'm like, all right, I got to talk. Whatever. I would get up there and talk. But I had such a tight team. I had guys and girls that were tight. They weren't people that would all reckless in it. They were tight. They were. They wanted to do the right thing. I got lucky. I had a good team, you know, and that that got me through it too because we all talked about it, sad about it. A lot of good people, man, that I work with. 
in did you life. Ever, did you ever go for any counseling or anything like that? No, I didn't. You know what the problem is? Well, with us go at that time, the counseling was you you ask for help and you get fucked. Yeah, we talked you know? about that. Yeah, yeah, they call, about yeah. they don't care. Well, they don't. You didn't say anything that anyone would take in any bad way, and they uh, draw and present. You know, like uh, you have any other guns uh, in your locker? By the way, who's your pretty red one? Your yeah. Rubber, yeah. Rubber Here's gun. your rubber, rubber gun, gun. Yeah. and walk around so everyone can look at it and laugh at you. You know, they don't reach out. They, they they only care about the liability. There are people that care. I'm talking about management. I'm talking about the NYPD in general. It's all about li- liability. And there's cops out there right now that can't can't talk to they, they they go through stuff that they don't think anyone else is going that, through and that's why you know just this past year alone i mean how many nypd suicides were there well 19 in 2019 there was 10 last year there was three which was shocking because it was yeah, the pandemic bu- well they were busy working that's they were busy you know getting spit on and throw <laughs> things thrown at them but yeah i mean think about this like the culture today what you could r- just run up to a cop and just get in his face and this and, and in bed style, what was starting to happen was when we would stop someone on the street for like a homicide suspect that he doesn't know we're stopping him for that, we wouldn't put anything over the radio. There was just four of us grabbing them. Now it's changed. The warrant squad goes, gets the homicide guys. But when we were out there stopping, people would run up with these big like cameras from like TV and they would go in your face and go, what are you doing, officer? What are you doing? He didn't do nothing to you. We saw you just run up on him. What are you doing? And they're filming you and you have this guy here and you're back up. And this is what you deal with every day. They just film you. And then what ends up happening is they show part of the clip. Yeah, they don't show the whole clip. But imagine that in your face when you got a homicide guy against the wall and they're in your face. I think they came up with an eight foot rule now that you have to stand back with a camera, eight feet. Can you imagine you got to deal with this? Well, anybody, any cop ever listening to this particular story or any other one of our story, and if, listen, if you guys ever need help, reach out and get help. If you don't know who to talk to or you're afraid to talk to the police administration, reach out to me on social media. My email is kdonaldson at thesufferingpodcast.com. You email me, I'll get it, I'll reach out to you. That I can promise you. What do you think this career, noticing all this suffering, has taught you? Listen. What it taught me is this. I re- You have to get it out. You have to get out of the element. You have to remember you're never alone. And you have to do... Well, you, sometimes it feels better to talk it out, let it out, get it out, and then just get out of the element. You know, take a break. You know what I mean? And just make sure you talk to people, people that you can trust, and, and figure it out. And it, believe me, you guys are here. You two other guests we talked about, the Palmer, mm-hmm. all right, and Artie, right? Look, they're there. They're here. They're here. And, and you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel. I really feel that way. Clint, I'm going to be calling you at about 2 in the morning tonight when I got a nightmare. Thank you. No problem. I really do appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you for having me. You know, I, I think the, the thing that you said, you're not alone. You're not. That's why we do this. Yeah. You know, we're not getting anything out of this. You know, the only thing we're getting is the satisfaction of helping people. You're not alone out there. Everybody's got a suffering story, and the worst thing you could ever think is you're the only one going through it. Well, that's why I'm here, because I honestly was listening to this podcast, and I heard things, and I was like, wow, these are some tough dudes. They got through it, you know, and let's keep spreading the word and help help whoever we can help. But there's, remember, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. 
Well, I'm not tough. I'm just a big giant wuss. That's all I am. <laughs> Let's think about all the stuff we learned today. You got to keep hustling. You got to have some perspective in your life because no matter how bad you think it is, it can always get worse. Every day, and I like I learned this from Marcella, every day is a gift that I have with my family. And everybody out there, what I want you to do is I want you to go up there, find a cop, give him a hug, and say, I'm here. I love you. Thank you for your job because you never know the call prior to them they may have seen something horrible and you don't want them bringing it home to your family so thank you all for listening to the suffering podcast and listening to the suffering of other people suffering with clint he's been a fantastic guest reach out to us on social social media follow us on twitter instagram facebook and we will see you on the next episode of the suffering podcast